Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Poland this time. And I'm super excited because I am here with some friends that I've met with once before, but I have come together with them for a meeting with Brother Yun and Brother Ren. So we're having kind of this Back to Jerusalem meeting with leaders here in Poland, and one of them is Fabian. Fabian, thank you so much for joining us on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. It's a real honor to have you with us. Thank you. You know, one of the things that I was interested in in asking you to join our podcast was the remarkable testimony that you shared yesterday. When we were having a tea and waiting for Brother Yun, um, we had a moment where you were sharing why you became a believer. You were once a Jesuit priest, and you became a full-on, radical, rebellious believer. And can you just share a little bit about your background and what prompted you? Because that relates to us, I think, so strongly, and it's an amazing mm. testimony that we would love to share with our audience. Well, as you know, the, the story is quite complicated and, and complex, but uh, um, the simplest way to, to, to say it is I was born in the Catholic, typical Polish Catholic family. Then as a teenager, uh, looking for, for the real power of the spirit, in, in, not in you know, the, 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 the biblical sense, just wanted to, to have any spiritual experience, I started to, first of all, uh, I was disappointed with the Catholic spirituality, n feeling nothing over there, uh, experiencing nothing about God. So I started experimenting with um, white magic, black magic, heavy metal music, then really like occult, deep into occult stuff, becoming almost, almost a Satanist. Then. Uh, in the beginning, it was the beginning of 1990s, 90s, uh, I met some people in Poland. Uh, it was just, you know, after the end of the, the, the communist era. So uh, Poland was open for everything, also for uh, evangelical preachers and, and believers, uh, especially from Amer America, but not only. Uh, and it was the beginning of the first kind of, today I would say, kind of revival, Christian revival in, uh, in Poland. Um, many Catholics would uh, listen to the, the real gospel, uh, started charismatic renewal uh, groups and, and uh, movements, and then later, many of the groups actually uh, became evangelical churches. So in the beginning of this um, era, 
in, in as I said, early, 90, it was probably 1991, I met some people that I knew before, uh, Christians now, not really knowing what's going on. It was, you know, the, the, the home meeting. Uh, they preached to me the, the, um, the gospel. Uh, and in a couple of meetings, it was the, the second or the third, uh, I got saved. Among uh, charismatic Catholics, Pentecostal Christians, I wouldn't even ask, wouldn't even know. So I got saved, but then didn't even have like the slightest idea that I might go to any other church, only to the Catholic Church. So uh, trying to be radical, really, in my newborn faith, I said I have to be a priest of like what type of priest you would like to be uh well the toughest one so i became <laughs> uh i i went to the 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 official name is the society of jesus the jesuits right uh commonly known as as the jesuits and uh i was a uh, jesuit and a, and a jesuit priest uh eventually for 18 years almost 20 when you know officially counting it is 20 but anyway for me, it was 18 uh, years. Uh, being kind of, uh, I'd say, spiritually having this uh, split personality. Because I, first, I was born again, I, I strongly believe it. But then, becoming more and more religious. Uh, and, you know, as, as a priest, a, a Jesuit, like really, not just kind of religious, like really strongly Again, almost magically religious. Um, all the time I thought to myself, well, uh, this is the, the only holy Catholic church, a universal church beginning from, you know, Jesus Christ, whatever. So uh, what I had from these maybe eager, but Protestants, so not really Christians, now it can be fulfilled in the Catholic Church, especially when I'm going to be a priest, and then when I was a priest. But my experience, to, to, you know, to, to this long story put in, in the shortest uh, possible way, was that whenever I, I read my Bible, I prayed on my own, I had everything with mm, Jesus. Then when I was saying my, my Holy Mass, uh, uh, serving, ministering sacraments and whatever, uh, there was nothing in there. Uh, so I started to have more and more doubts and stronger and stronger doubts. Like, was why? Why is it that something that should add up to my uh, original faith seems to be adding nothing? Then, at the end of my, uh, what was the beginning of the end of my priestly and, and Jesuit career, uh, I read Brother Yoon's testimony, Heavenly, uh, what's uh, the title in The English? Heavenly Man. Yeah, yeah The Heavenly Man. And uh, that was it. Like, like uh, the, the, the strongest impulse to really rethink what I'm doing 
here in the Catholic Church. Like, why? They have no priests, no sacraments, no, you know, church structure, no, I thought to myself, no theology, just what, the Bible, and this is enough? And then they have this, you know, uh, experiences, uh, many people being converted and, well, you know, the Chinese story. So I was amazed, like, and, you know, with so many questions, how is it possible? Why don't we have it? While I thought to myself, we have all the rights to have everything that they had. Mm. So there was a beginning, then uh, having these doubts, many other uh, stories, I eventually decided this is it. I'm not going to be a priest, a Jesuit anymore. I left uh, the order, then the, the Catholic Church. And then, I was it like two, maybe three years later, I was uh, baptized in the name of Jesus, which was, I'd say, I well, after 20 years, it was my second real step of, of my faith. Mm. So here I am now. And just incredible that, that you went from, I, I've never even heard of black magic, white magic. I've heard of black magic. Yeah. I, what's the difference between black magic and white oh, magic? So Is this like Harry some, Potter some, type of? So, no, so, you see, some, some people think that uh, white magic is just, you know, uh, knowing some tricks. It's, uh, it's, other people would call it the, the, the right hand and left hand magic. White magic is, uh, the people that, I, that are involved, they would say it is more like yin yang, you know, this is yeah, white yeah. Yeah. side of, of this. It is based on good, while black magic is based on, on evil. Uh, white magic would be based on the order idea, while black magic is more chaotic idea. Uh, life and death, you know. Uh, I'm no, still not it is, sure. It is just, <laughs> yeah, it's just making things more complicated that, than they are. It okay. is all satanic and it's just magic, right? So to <clears throat> go from that to being a Jesuit priest is, like you said, it sounds like a big jump. Once you decide I'm going to be a Jesuit priest, what does that process look like? What, 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 is there like a school? Is there a training? Yeah, but remember, it wasn't, you know, this jump wasn't from like being magic guy and then being a Jesuit fellow, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because in between, I was born again. And then I just didn't know that I, like what to do. Right. Right. I want to serve God. And I heard him saying, I want you to be a part of my next reformation. Yeah. I thought in the Catholic Church. So if you want to be a part of reforming anything, you have to be a priest. Yeah. Right? So right. that was my yeah. uh, thought process. Because, I mean, that is the official religion here in Poland right now, yeah. right? It's Catholicism. At, at least 30 years ago, yeah. it was like the only one. Yeah. Being Polish meant, and believing in God meant... You're a Catholic, just, you know. Yeah. So what's the next step then? How do you become a, a Jesuit priest? Oh, it's... <laughs> uh, first you go to... Uh, and have to finish the two-year uh, period called the, 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 the novitiate, novitiate mm -hmm. probably in, in English. Then 
mm, you study philosophy. Uh, then uh, I traveled to Ireland to have some two-year-long practice that is called uh, Regency between <clears throat> the study because then I <clears throat> went back to Poland to study theology altogether 11 years and then I was ordained as a priest. Wow, I mean that's a that's a big commitment out of your life 11 years studying to be a priest and then God calls you out of that from a book. Yes. <laughs> well, not only. Yeah. You see, um, from the very beginning, um, I didn't really... Like, you see, it, you have these four volumes of special uh, priestly prayers in the Catholic Church. I actually never read them, never prayed from them, even as a priest. To, to, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I never, I just read my Bible, so I was mm -hmm. different. And many people in the Catholic Church, in, uh, in the Jesuits, they would say, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is what I feel, but you know, I'm here because this is the new wave of the Catholic faith that we're going to have, the, you know, the, this is the renewal I'm all about. Yeah. Then I learned, well, no, uh, you see, for 18 years, almost 18 years, I believed you can actually do something with the Catholic Church that to, to change it into becoming more biblical and eventually purely biblical. Mm -hmm. But, well, finally I learned it is impossible. I mean, when the Catholic Church, whenever the Catholic Church would say, let's become biblical, this is the end of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Because the fundaments, the very fundaments, uh, basics of, of, of this religion are non-biblical. Yeah. And I'd even say anti-biblical, but this is like, you know. Yeah. So what was the point? What was the part? What was the section of the book, the Heavenly Man book, that you just really grabbed you and kind of began to convince you that there's something more than what you've already experienced? Was, was there a certain point that you stopped and you're like, what is going on? Um, you see, uh, well, as I told you yesterday, I, I said, okay, so in order to fulfill the mission I feel I have from God, <clears throat> I have to be a priest. What type of priest? Well, probably to, to have some freedom of movement, but, but also, you know, to study, really, to know the Bible and so on. I, but I ask, okay, so probably not just the, the, the so-called in Poland, I, I'm not supposed to be a lay priest, a, like, you know, just to serve the diocese. I want to be a monk priest, kind of like, okay. So then I asked, what is the toughest order in the Catholic Church? And someone said, it is the Jesuits. Um, I was like, no, no, listen, how, uh, how many of martyrs would they have? The biggest number, they say. Because I wanted to die for Christ, basically. Mm. To be, at least to be ready to die for Christ. Uh, so I said, okay, the Jesuits. Um, but then, you know, year by year, I learned, well, it is just the old, very old institution. Even if the... If in the beginning the Jesuits were very 
zealous like and you know eager and and wanting to fight especially against the protestants but not only mm. we talk those about many places in the world in asia where the jesuits had some missions like really important missions evangelical almost missions okay but i discovered no this is just the old institution like just you know priests like others mm. uh and I want to serve. I want to be really useful for, for, for the Lord I know. What am I supposed to do? Well, you have to learn. You have to learn. You have to study. You have to learn. You have to study. Okay. But when you're a priest, you'll see. You'll have the power. In, you, 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 you would serve like you want. But mm. then, after my priestly ordination, nothing changed. First of all, I didn't feel any power. <laughs> like, And a new, you know wave of power, a new source of power, spiritual power in me. <clears throat> my prayer, my, my private prayer was the same, powerful. My uh, private Bible reading, the same, powerful. Not, but, you know, the, the, the so-called sacrament, nothing changed in my life. So, a huge disappointment. Mm. Like, I, 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 you, you see, in, the, Catholic, in the, the theology of the Catholic Church, they would tell you that, that after the priestly ordination, you're kind of like a new creation for God. Mm. You have this mark uh, in you that will last in your soul forever. Mm. Everlasting priestly mark. I was like, yeah, where is it? I Like, nothing. So when I read this book, uh, I, you see, my basic first lasting till this day thought was i want the same mm. where is it i want to have this uh living churches living body of christ um the church that, that would be not just hierarchy and some lay people but you know brothers and sisters preaching the gospel where is it in my life? I'm, I'm serving the institution, this organization, but not, I, 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 I have no experience of serving really to my Lord. Mm. So that was the, I'd say that, like, this is what I always wanted. Where is it in my life? I want it. I still want it. Mm. Um, One of the things, so we had a conversation last night over dinner, and you were sharing something, and you said something specifically that hit me just square on the face. I thought it was really powerful and extremely unique because you come at uh, serving God from a different angle than I think many do because of your background. And you had said something that I never thought about, but after you said it, uh, it, I, it really made me want to dig further. You said, it seems at times that Protestants, Christians like you and I, are more religious than Catholics. And the reason why that kind of really challenged me in the moment is because when I think of religiosity or, or having the spirit of religion, mm -hmm. I think of ceremonies. I think of the dogma. I think of you know the incense, the altar boys, the priestly garments, the, the uh, procedures that they do for everything in the Catholic Church, right? I mean, anybody that's ever been to Catholic Mass will see that everything is done like clockwork. And in my mind, that 
is religion. And so when you said, no, I think that Protestants can be even more religious in the way that they have a certain dogma that they are, it's almost impossible for them to shake from them, and it, not, it doesn't necessarily have Christ. Can you expound on that a little bit and just share kind of your thoughts, your observation from having a Jesuit priest background to where you're at now as a Protestant minister? Yeah, this celebrational side of the religion, it's, it, it is real, and it can be uh, like a prison for some people. I, I agree. But you see, being a, at least a Polish Catholic, I'm, I'm not going to, but I think that, that this is quite universal experience for the Catholics. Whenever you do whatever you're supposed to do, and you're done, you're free. So, you see, you have some duties, religious duties, like morning prayer, evening prayer. When you have, like, your vows and you're supposed to say, like, a part of, a, of your rosary or the whole rosary every day or once a week. Okay, you, you have different um, duties, religious duties, like you have to go to the church and attend the whole Holy Mass on Sundays and other special feasts. Okay, but when you do this, you're free. You don't have, it's like, uh, am I done? Yeah, you are. Okay, so you're free. Whenever you sin, and it is like a mortal sin, as they call it, yeah, okay, you, you should fear you're going to hell. <laughs> Basically, right? Yeah. You're out of grace. But then you can actually really experience um kind of grace i'd say when you go to the holy confession so you say out uh, you speak out your you know you confess your sins and then when the priests say okay you're done you're done and you're free and again your god is good to you you know what i mean yeah while what i discovered and i was quite shocked was that some protests actually many especially Polish Protestants, because this is who I know, uh, they don't know what God thinks about them because they have no clear rules, while actually have much more rules than Catholics, mm. like on tithing and, and praying daily and, and reading the Bible and doing things that they think they're supposed to do because it is biblical. Mm. But then... They, they, they have no clear rules, like, when I'm done, is, is it done, is it okay, is it, is, is it good, is it good enough? Mm. They don't know, so what I discovered is that many, the, 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 they, you see, the Catholics, they have their religion in their churches, in their temples, mm. and in the ceremonies, as you, as you said, while Protestants carry their religion in themselves. Mm. And it is, for some of them in Poland, quite dark religion, I'd say, because they never know whether good is okay with them and they, whether they are okay with God. Like, do you even like me, God? This is what they really think inside. Mm. Like, do I have any more duties? What am I supposed to do to, you know, to make you glad? 
that I, type of thing. Yeah, I, I, I really think that that is a powerful message because we do carry so much baggage with us on a regular basis. And like you said, there's, all, there's, there's sometimes <clears throat> not that clear um, idea of you've, you complete these different things and that is a part of the process. Um, I get that when I'm around uh, Jewish people. For instance, uh, there is something, even though it seems it seems restrictive for me as an outsider, for so many Jews that are on the inside, there is something liberating yeah. about the idea of knowing that when Friday evening comes, everything stops, and that it, it does not resume again until the end of Sabbath evening on Saturday. Um, I, I've heard so many people talk to me. I know for I know for a fact that when we see criminals, for instance, that are finally caught, like in their older age, uh, something that they've done really bad when they were younger, they were happy to finally be arrested because yeah. now they could admit what it was that they did. Yeah. Uh, and so many people in their old age, as they're on their deathbed, have made deathbed confessions um, to relieve themselves of the burden, whereas and I've said this several times, you know, among the Catholics, you have that confession that seems legalistic for us on the outside, but it is a biblical concept. You don't have to do it to a father or a priest, but the Bible does teach us about confession to one another and how that yeah. releases us. Um, and that, the, the, what you were just saying, I think is so powerful because we started dingdash.com, right? This online social media service. And there are times both on regular social media like Facebook, like Twitter, like like Instagram, um, I will post something on Dingdash or I'll post something on, on Facebook. And you will have some of the most legalistic individuals come on and attack. There was one lady last week in Iran. She um, came up to one of the ladies. I, I held a training for Iranians a couple weeks ago where we brought in about 20 Iranians into a small house church setting. And I spent two weeks just speaking and uh, uh, talking about business as mission together with some of them. One of them was a lady who started a business in Iran. And one early morning before the sun came up, there was a lady who came off the street looking to get warm. She was a prostitute and she gave her heart to Christ that morning in that business mm. together with this Iranian Christian. I rejoiced and I, we put up an article about this on Back to Jerusalem. I posted on it on, on dingdash.com, which has a lot of Christians from around the world. And immediately were attacked because the process of bringing her to Christ was not correct. The The idea of what it meant to have salvation was not correct. And and instead of... This is what I'm talking about. Rejoicing. Yeah. yeah instead of rejoicing for this this prostitute who come to Christ, came to Christ, this person now wants to do two things. One, attack the method in which it was done. That's first. And two, I would say even be self-indulgent about the law, the rule, the, the system that they now learned, which is the correct way, and then highlight themselves. And now I know the right way, you have done it the wrong way. And, and then immediately it was critical. It was abusive. It was a bully. It was an online bully that I felt was reminiscent in some ways of the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees who had their religion first, their ideas of, of, of rules and right and wrong, and even when standing face to face, looking into the eyes of the Messiah himself, looking into the eyes of God in the flesh, they had the nerve to show their righteousness to God himself. And so what you were saying, yeah, what you were saying really resonates. <clears throat> you see, uh, this is something that I really kept to myself for five, six years after my water baptism in the name of Jesus. Uh, but eventually I decided, no, I have to say it and speak it openly and loudly as a former, as we say in Poland, the uh, witcher. <laughs> and a former Jesuit and, and the, the Catholic priest, there is only one type of witchcraft really dangerous to Christians, and it is legalism. Mm. I cannot think about any other type of spiritual, black, white, whatever, magic, uh, demon summoning against Christians that would really work on us. It is impossible. Mm. But what we work on ourselves, and it is really spiritual and magical, and it is witchcraft, it is legalism. Inside, like, you know, the way of thinking, because it is against the real grace. Some people actually preach, you know, grace, liberation in Christ, and grace and freedom and so on. But, but then what they mean is the law, another type of the law and the prison of the law that, that, that has nothing to do with Christ, the real living resurrected Christ. <clears throat> so uh, this is something uh, th that we have to preach now and to, to see, to confront now in the church. This open legalism, but also many different types of legalism undercover. Like some people actually have so many rules among the most liberal, charismatic... Uh, I'm myself uh, a charismatic Christian, right? But that's why I know, like when they say we can do whatever we want, this freedom goes with so many restrictions and strange beliefs that like you can do everything but first of all you have to confess the proper words from the bible and you know it's like magic like the worst type of of, of egyptian magic actually <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah. uh they, they they speak about well the only thing is the, the the personal relationship with christ but then when you look into this, it is not about relationship. It's again a, an, about another set of religious rules. So this is what we're supposed to confront it with what? With the proper understanding of what the, the cross of Christ is, what the new covenant because of the cross and resurrection of Christ is, uh, and what it does really mean to us. You see, the, 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 the first... Um, verse of the third chapter of the letter to Galatians, uh, when Paul says, who bewitched you? Actually, he meant witchcraft. The, the, this, this, this word is, but he, he's not saying like, who would be so powerful in his 
magical arts to, to be with you? No, it's rhetorical question saying, well, no one can actually bewitch you bewitched yourself. Think about it. You bewitched yourself with what? With the new type of the law, even worse than the mosaic law. I think that, that there's, a, there's something there that's key. I would like to see if we can put our finger on just a little bit of it. Because you touched on something when you're talking about mosaic law <clears throat> and then our own law. I, this has been something I've been trying to unpack for a while um, because I see it. I see the Bible has laws, but there's freedom in those laws. And I'm, and I'm not even talking about New Covenant. I'm talking about Mosaic laws. That if I go to Israel, for instance, when I go to Israel, in my mind, and I see this all the time, I'm, I'm going to back up just for a second, whenever there's a big disaster, in American TV and in, in American uh, media, they will bring out a very well-known pastor and they'll bring him on TV and they will say, there was a tsunami, for instance, in Indonesia, and so many people were killed. Is that the kind of God that would, do you serve the kind of God that would allow that to happen? No. And so immediately those pastors would say, no. And then the media with only a little bit of information will say, well, the, the Bible does talk about stoning homosexuals and children. And the, immediately the pastor will then almost completely disown the Old Testament and say, yeah, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. We believe in the new covenant. And so there's this disassociation, which I think is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Because if you have that idea that the Old Testament God is authoritarian and evil and, and almost uh, happy in the way that he tortures his people, but Jesus is the change of all of that, then you, you have this idea of uh, Jesus himself changed the old God into a better God and now I'm in a better place. But when I go to Israel, I see a land that has democracy, human rights, uh, I mean, they are blessed more than any other nation in the Middle East, and they don't have oil. They don't have the natural resources that all of their neighbors have, and yet they are the nation where I feel by far, not even close, by far the most free. And then I realize there's something that we are misunderstanding because mm -hmm. they only follow the law. Mm -hmm. They don't follow the New Testament. So there's something that is liberating. And in that law, I know that I'm taking a minute to, to explain this, but I'm only going through my thought process. I realized that by following God's rules of not, for instance, keeping, uh, keeping my marriage holy where I don't have an affair, it might seem restrictive of, oh, that's a, just, that's a rule that restricts me from really having fun. But then I meet those that do have affairs uh, in their marriage or have a more open marriage. Mm -hmm. And I realize there's misery, that those boundaries of God are not laws that restrict us, but they protect us. They protect our freedoms. They protect, they give us freedom. Like we have freedom in God's laws, but there's man's laws. Laws that we bring in ourselves, baggage that we bring in that is extracurricular to the Bible. It's, it's, it's not biblical, but it's extra biblical. And then those laws I find restrictive. Those laws I find confining. Those laws I find slavery. Those laws I find judgmental. Um, does that make sense at all? Oh, yeah. And what I'm saying, does that... You see, for me, basically, like, look at this. Do I have to 
preach to this thing to fall down. Because this is the law. You have to... No, I don't... Look. He's holding wires and he just drops this, it and it falls. This is the law yes. of the gravity. Gravity, right? yes. Of gravity. This, this is it. So what is the law of Christ, of the new covenant? It is Christ in us. It is our natural gravity. We don't have... To, you, you don't have to know what you have to. <laughs> right. You, you know yeah, what I mean? It's, yeah. It, uh, to and especially to satisfy God. I mean, this is the most satanic thing we can actually create as Christians for ourselves. You know, that you have to do something to satisfy God's whatever. Like after what he did for us, sending his own son, when we were everyone, when we were his personal enemies. And not because he wanted us to... No, we were like openly enemies of God. This is what the Bible says. Yes. Right? Yes. And he said even... Well, we were his worst possible enemies. And he said, this is how I see you. And this is how I love you. This is my son on the cross. Look at, look at him. Mm. Right? So now, now when we are born again because of this act unimaginable act of love, now he's not satisfied with us. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, now, well, before it was kind of tricky. He actually cheated you. He didn't really love you. This is how many people, you know, feel after a month or a year or, 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 or a couple of years of, of being a Christian, born again Christian, very often, it's like, okay, so where is this original love now? Because the church says, no, God is not really, you're not okay with, and, until you tithe, until you, you know, give your money to the, this charity, that charity, until you pray at least one hour a day or read your Bible every day. And, you know, you have to, I'm not saying you're not supposed to do these things, but, but what I'm saying is you're not supposed to do anything to satisfy this good father. I mean, it is one and the same God of the Old and the New Testament. Yahweh of the Old Testament is the good, the very good father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no difference. Mm. If, and you see, it begins with saying that there is something wrong with the Bible, with the word of God. Like the Old Testament, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the God of the Old Testament was this tyrannical, fearer, Adolf Hitler, like, you know, like, what? You don't understand the word then. Mm. Every action of his, uh, of our God, was, was the best possible and was, the, 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 you know, the presentation and expression of his goodness. We are actually in the process, Timek and, and, uh, and me, uh, of uh, publishing the... in. Uh, the new publication now, it is quite complex. It's going to be a couple of audiobooks and, and a little book and, and so on, uh, under the one title, In Defense of God's Goodness. Mm. And can you imagine, actually, we're targeting Protestants, mm. <laughs> first of all, and then uh, Catholics, and then other Polish people. 
but including Protestant, evangelical Protestants in uh, in Poland, they they are not well. They wouldn't say, "Yeah, God is good, of course, Hallelujah." But then, is it your real like everyday uh, your you, your life experience? Is it like no, well, no, no, I don't, I don't trust God. I don't trust myself. I'm afraid he doesn't like me. I know he loves me and he's good in general, but to me. So let me take this one step further just to hear your ideas on this. What if somebody says, um, yes, God loves me and I don't have to do anything. It's like gravity that God's love is for me. He is in me. I don't have to <clears throat> earn it. In fact, I cannot earn it. Yeah. So therefore, I can continue living a sinful life. Of course not. And he can live, love me. Of course not. And, and you see, um, we have so many converted, I mean, born again Catholics and, and Jehovah's Witnesses now in, in our movement and, and other people. And everyone, uh, everyone, like no exceptions, everyone says that their experiences it is much more, much more difficult to sin, even to think about sinning now, rather than to not sin when you're born again. Mm. You know? Um, I'd say the only problem that we have as the Christians is when we uh, employ the law again against the, the finished work of the cross. The Bible is, the, the word of God is quite clear about it. The law is the godly and, and this is holy thing coming from God. But it's a tool of doing what? Of making sin alive. Why? Because it's a tool for measuring your sin and then stating what sort of punishment you should receive after such sins or, or even one sin. This is what the law is about. That's why uh, in, uh, the, actually, again, the letter to Galatians, but the second chapter, 19th and 20th famous verses, but especially 19th, what uh, Paul, uh, Apostle, what, what he says, he says, I died for the law. L look, look at this. He, the, the only thing that we should be considering in our life is, the life of resurrection in us and the figure of crucified Christ. Mm. Look, this if you say only crucified, this is what, what he states in, um, in the first Corinthians and in Galatians and, and so on, the, nothing but the Christ and Christ crucified. What does it mean? Crucified Christ is damned by the law because damned is everyone on the cross on the the, the wood as originally the law the, the mosaic law uh, would say so if this is our ideal to be crucified with our christ you have to be ready that this holy godly law will be against you mm. That's why you, 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 these are. You, there's no third road here. Is the Christ crucified or the law? When you 
live through the life of crucified and resurrected Christ, then you live your life of good deeds that God thought about for you as your personal vocation before the whole creation. And when you live such type of, of life, you don't think about sinning, you know? Uh, you're not afraid of, of, well, you see, religious people, uh, they are not even, they're not focused on, on being sinful or sinning. They are afraid of mistakes. That's why they are not creative, they, because they are afraid, well, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now to satisfy my God? And then they are afraid of, of making any mistakes, because a, a, any, any type of mistake would be almost a sin or a sin itself, mm. right? But when you think, when you focus on the life that is flowing through you, the source of life in you, And when you want to live this type of, of, of life, of, of a really good deeds, not dead deeds, but good deeds in Christ, in his spirit, um, you don't need any law. Because even, the, you, you see, the, what, 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 you can ask a question towards the law, like, am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed? And the law would give you the answer. You are allowed or you are not allowed. But can you ask a question, is this exactly what I'm supposed to do between two and three or, or you know, five possible good things? The law would still have the answer. You're allowed to do whatever you want in you know, these borders, these limits. But the question is, okay, some of these good deeds might be dead deeds because might be not what God wants from me right now. So what am I supposed to do? And the law is like silent. I know. Where's the answer? That's why you have to ask the Lord himself. And this is where the, 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 the way of the cross for me begins and the law ends. Basically, yeah, th this is a, a really unique way to see this. You you mentioned it just briefly earlier when you were talking about, you know, there's no confession that we see per se about you say these words and you become a Christian. Um, that's not how the very first Christians were identified. The very first Christians that were identified were not based on a dogmatic confession that they made with these certain words. It was, were they followers of Christ yeah. or were they not? Yeah. And out of that following of Christ, these were individuals that were not necessarily looking at what can I do and still be saved. Like, what is the limits of what I'm allowed to do and still be saved? Like, I don't try to ask, because I do believe, for me, that all of the law is based on love. That if we look at the, that Jesus himself saying that the greatest commandment is to love the God your Father with all your heart, soul, and yeah. mind. 
Every, the fulfillment of all the law comes out of that. Even the next one that Jesus points out to being the next important law is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, if you love God more than you love anything else in the world, then you begin to love that which God loves. Okay. And what does God love? That which he created, those people. So even if there's somebody that I don't like, in Christ being filled with me, I then begin to love that which I may not love because I'm not capable of it, but God is. But more of God in me and less of me, more of me crucified, I then begin to emulate what God does and who he loves. Therefore, I love his people. And then if I look even at the Ten Commandments themselves, um, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder, don't kill. These ideas are things that you don't do to people that you love. So if I just love, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to kill. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about somebody. I'm not going to cheat somebody. I'm not going to covet my neighbor if I love them. And in, even if we get into the dietary laws, I believe those also stem out of love, protection, uh, laws that keep us safe, um, not laws that are just put there for a, like you had said, a tyrannical God to have fun by torturing little ants on the ground, but things that are done by the good shepherd to keep his sheep safe. And his sheep can enjoy the pasture so much more when we are in the protection of the shepherd. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think, is so imperative when talking about the law and love because i do believe they come from the same place however however when it comes to being judged that like you said we only have christ or the law and we fail with the law every time we are condemned by the law because we break we broke the law we were born into a broken world and we have chosen ourselves to break the law. Um, and so we only have that love of Christ, that sacrifice of Christ, that 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 uh, death on the cross that that brings to us from his blood that was shed for us, that we get salvation. So I think that's really good. One of the things that that irks me and and there are times where I feel like it's almost justified because I see Jesus get angry at the same things. Like when I see somebody in the Bible that says, I'm a sinner, why would you love me? Those are the people that Jesus clings to and says, yeah. no, I want to give you freedom. I want to bless you. I want to heal you. I want to bring you back to life. Those are the individuals that Christ has mercy on. Yeah. The ones that he has very strong words for are those that say, Actually, I'm I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I I am the religious leader. I am the religious authority. I know the right way. Those that claim to know the right way, Jesus at one point calls son of serpents. Yeah. We we have a word in English called son of something that's not serpents, <laughs> but very close. <laughs> and so I see this this connection where Jesus does not have very kind words for those that are judgmental. And by judgmental, I'm not saying that those that call out sin. Uh, because as you said, once we follow Christ, we leave certain sinful behavior mm -hmm. behind naturally, mm -hmm. just as natural as gravity. But those that continue sinning, then they themselves need to ask 
am I following Christ? Because you can say, yes, I love Christ, and yes, I am with a woman that I am not committed to, or I'm with several women at the same time, or I'm a homosexual. Can I still be a Christian? Brother, you have a problem Mm -hmm. because if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is not going that way. And so to follow Jesus, it's not about laws restricting what you can and cannot do. In my own marriage, if I say, you know, what can I do and still be married? I think my wife would question my love for her because Mm -hmm. I want to know what can I do to please her? What can I do to make her happy? Exactly. What can I not do that would make her hurt? Not because I'm worried about her anger, but because I'm worried about me impacting our relationship in a negative way. So I will I, I will not find out, well, what can I get away with mm-hmm. and still be married? Mm-hmm. Because that's not love. That's, yeah. that's something else. Yeah. And I think the same is with Christ, that we're not in a relationship, a religious relationship where I'm asking, what can I do and still get away with? What sins could I commit and still be saved? It, that's not a relationship with it's Christ. Not. That is but legalism. Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's legalism. So I I found that very fascinating. I'm so glad that you came on and shared that because that is something that I think Protestants can benefit from. And I even I even I I'm almost uncomf- uncomfortable with using the word Protestants because I know many Catholics who are born again mm-hmm. saved. Um, I'm writing a book right now f- about a woman who uh, would consider herself to be Catholic, but she's born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I know that I will see her in heaven. I also know a lot of believers who are not Catholic would consider themselves Protestant. I don't know if I'm going to see them in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, so I hate to use that divisive word of Protestant, Catholic, but rather followers yeah. of Christ. Yeah. Because I think that you're I right. I think that I, I think that there is legalism there. And in fact, even when I know I know no 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 when this book comes out, there's going to be legalistic Christians who will come out and say she cannot be saved because the Pope is the antichrist and she is following the devil. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to be the voice of, of many <laughs> here and now yeah. uh, while we talk. But I, I can speak for myself. Uh, I was a born-again man as the Catholic that I told you I was. The Jesuit and the, the, the Jesuit, the Catholic priest, just trapped um, into this organization, this so-called church, and some forms of uh, theology and devotions, right? And, and I have to admit, uh, many of, of these types of uh, being pious in the Catholic Church, uh, it is a pure, if you can say this, evil uh, idolatry. It is. Mm. But you see, uh, my intention was quite pure. Like, you know, pray, praying to the, 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 the Holy Virgin Mary. I was convinced it is uh, in for the greater glory of God. Then I discovered, so I was trapped spiritually, mentally, 
physically as, as, as well. Um, and what we're supposed to do is to not to, to, to condemn this, these people in the Catholic Church. To, to, we're supposed to preach to them the real gospel, and when they're born again, to, to, to preach even farther, to open their eyes, mm. to, to lead them into the real liberation. Mm. You see, the, the problem is when someone is not really liberated as a Protestant, well, is not then able to, to lead anyone to any type of liberation. Is it from the Catholic Church or from some Buddhist uh, cults or whatever? So that's why it is so important for us to have this real um, experience of, of, of being really not just born again infants, but also to, 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 to be at least maturing, if not mature, maturing disciples of, uh, of Christ. Followers. I think that what you just said is is so important for us as Christians to recognize and to be sensitive of. Because if we believe that it's impossible for Catholics to be Christians, we have a real problem. Because that would mean that there were really no Christians before Martin Luther. <laughs> so, And I don't believe that. Uh, I also, whenever I look at missions for China, for instance, when I look at missions to most of the world, uh, in the beginning stages outside of the, because you had two kind of main, maybe three churches where you had the Coptic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Roman Catholic Church. These three churches were mainly the, the, the main bodies yeah. of believers that sent out missionaries into the rest of the world. When it comes to the Western world, it was overwhelming Catholic. And when I say Catholic, I'm talking about the Roman Catholic yeah. establishment uh, after 300 AD. And when I look at that, I think that you're very much correct that we cannot judge uh, according to what we think we know. But because I believe that there, like if I go to the Philippines, for instance, in the Philippines, there has been massive transformation within the Catholic Church where you have a lot of Catholics that I believe are born again believers and they still and adhere to many of the Catholic Church teachings and beliefs, but they are brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, we disagree on mm -hmm. some things, uh, but there are, for lack of a better term, salvation essentials that we agree on. Mm -hmm. Salvation essentials that we agree on about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. We, we have those things that unite us. And I think that we have to be very careful in our division because in the division becomes very judgmental attitudes. You said that you were in Ireland for a while. For I mean, they, 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 for two years. Uh, in the 90s, mm -hmm. this was during a time when the, you had the IRA, which was extremely active during that time, uh, the, the, uh, the Irish... Uh, uh, kind of militant arm that fought very hard against England. And a lot of that had to do with Protestants versus yeah. Catholics. Catholics. 
How did you feel about that during the time that you were there? Were you exposed to that? Did you did you come across radical elements? Did you come across people that said the Protestants are evil? Stay away. They're, they are going to hell because they're not a part of the Holy Catholic Church. <laughs> uh, you know, I mostly stayed in the um, and and worked in the Republic of of Ireland, uh, not okay. really visiting the northern parts. Okay. And IRA. Uh, but actually, I, I visited uh, some places like Londonderry, and this is as the the the, the Protestants would, would call the place Londonderry, while Catholics would say Derry only. Okay. And so on. So I visited them a, a couple and of times. And for those of our listeners that are listening, just in case you don't know, Ireland is broken up into two parts. Yes. Uh, the northern part is owned by the UK. The southern part, the bigger part, is independent, is independent yeah. a part of the EU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you see, even as, um, as a Jesuit, but a, a born-again uh, person, when I visited them and, and talked to the Protestants, because I always uh, knew many uh, different types of, of uh, evangelicals, Protestants in, in general, so I talked to them, to the, and not to IRA. I, I, I think I, not consciously, right? I, I don't think I, I knew anyone from this uh, Irish Republican Army, as, as they call themselves. Uh, no, uh, no terrorists. But, but I talked to the pro-IRA uh, Catholics up in the north and of Ireland and to Protestants. And w what I talk to them is, listen, are you really, like, I'm not even saying Christians, but are you really, like, representatives of your churches while you so openly hate each other? Mm. Because I, I, I've never heard from the Catholic Church, you can hate them. And I've never heard from your different Protestant churches, Anglican churches, you can hate Catholics. So, and they were like, yeah, but this is the part of our religion. Mm. You see, <laughs> this is the problem of, 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 of any religion person and any religion group, religious group. They say, they, they represent some like universal law, like Buddhist or, or Catholic or Christian Christ's law. But then they are the judges of the law. Like this part of the law is more important than the other yes. part and so on. Yeah. It's always, it is always the same. Even the best of the best of these religious people, Pharisees, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. That's why Jesus was so aggressive in front of them. Because they were like, well, we um, keep everything from the law. And then he said, well, no, you are the ones thinking you can decide which parts of the law are more important and so on. So you're better than God. So no, no, no. Yeah. You're hypocrites. Yeah. Which is interesting because I don't know if, you know, here in Poland you have, but in different parts of America, especially, we have these, these um, uh, Christians who have discovered the law. And as they discover the law, then they become very judgmental and they judge people about, 
you celebrate Christmas, you celebrate Easter, you don't keep the Sabbath, and then they begin to judge people. There are, are, there are a couple of people that I know that have gone, and, and they, they do it out of a feeling of wanting to be more pleasing to God and their understanding of the Bible, and they become overnight Google theologians. Yeah. And they, they begin to really judge people for not keeping the law. And hurt people. Yes, and hurt people. Yeah. And actually condemn them. Yeah. Make them feel guilty. Like, yeah. I need to do more, as you were talking about before. This 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 feeling of, I need to, I, I need to do, I should feel guilty because I don't do enough. I need to do more, do more, do more, do more. One of the things that always cracks me up about that is because even when I, 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 I don't approach them, but if I am forced to, or if I'm sitting down with them and we're talking civilly, not not arguing or anything, mm -hmm. but having an honest discussion. If they're a person that is capable of having an honest discussion, I love to challenge them and say, do you know that it's impossible even for the most conservative, strict Jew to keep all the law? It's not possible because there is a large portion, more than like 15, almost 20% of the law, if we were to look at percentage-wise, that has to do with temple sacrifices. And the temple's no longer in existence. So just out of default, if you think you have to keep the law to please God, you fail because there's no temple mm -hmm. in order for you to keep mm -hmm. at least a tenth or, or, or a fifth of the law. And, uh, and I'm not saying that we, we disregard the law at all. I'm saying yeah, but that... Eugene, let's go a bit farther. Yeah. Just a step farther. Yes. Because you see... Uh, especially Christians, they are even worse or better than the old Pharisees. Because uh, they say to the Jewish people, you know you cannot keep the whole law, 613 commandments. You know, it is impossible. But what they believe really is that the Christ in us is the power, the ability to finally fulfill the law mm. to keep all any possible imaginable commandment mm. right so they they say you know it is impossible to keep the whole law but then they think but but now in christ in the whole like you know the holy spirit is actually the the only ability like he's not a person is is the ability in you to keep the law finally what is the holy baptism the the, the baptism in the holy spirit it is the ability to finally keep the whole law. Mm. Look, actually, Paul testifies. He says, I actually finally had a, this stage in my life when I was able and managed to keep the whole Mosaic law. It is his statement, look at this, in the third chapter of the letter to Philippians. Mm. And he says, finally, I managed to keep the whole law, but still it is for nothing. So even keeping the whole law would not give you life. Mm. It would just excite, as the Bible says, the old man in you and his or her nature is sinful. So eventually keeping the law will excite sin, the law of sin in your body, and you'll finish sinning again, right? 
So th that's why these law keepers always would ask you, okay, but what if I sin? Because they know, even subconsciously, that finally it is what, uh, what awaits them. So they, what? We have some laws to deal with this. Mm. So, when, so if you sin, you can do this and this and this and this and this. This is what you have in the Catholic Church. And actually the easiest way to deal with your sins is in the Catholic Church. Among many, many, many religions that I know, one of the easiest ways to deal with your personal sin is the Holy Confession in the Catholic Church. You just, you know, go to the proper place, talk to your priest and, you know, you, you're done. It's okay, again. Uh, in the mosaic law, it, it was more difficult. You had to sacrifice an animal and, you know. So this is law. But again, about this type of law. Um, again, having commandments against sinning, but also command, commandments what to do when you sin. Letter of Hebrews, for, for example, says... It, this type of law, any type of, of religious law, eventually then, and consequently, is this type of law is not everlasting because this law is not able, by definition, is not able to give you a, an everlasting life. Mm. Right? So, there's no point... Uh, well, as, as we said like half an hour ago, you see, you, you can know all the commandments and then keep them. The only fruit you're going to have from this type of life is that you would know what's the difference between evil and good. What is a sin and what is not a sin. Right? But then, is it going to enable you to live a fruitful life? Of course not. Because the law is not Christ Jesus. He is the end of the law. Mm. Is, well, not even talking about, you know, the everlasting life. Is the law able to make you love your enemy? Mm. It's not. It, 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 it is not. You can have some law saying you have to love your enemy. And you will act pretending like you love him. But, you know, you, you will not have it in you. While actually, when you have Christ in you, you love not only your neighbor, your, your family, but your enemies. And by this, you keep the whole law. This is what, you know, the, the new covenant says. Yeah. This is, this is really good. Let me, let me ask this uh, before we close out. What are the things that you find that you bring with you at, from your experience as being a Jesuit priest? What things have you found that are beneficial, that were beneficial for you, that you don't find in the typical Protestant surrounding that is a weakness? <laughs> Because I can tell you I, as an outsider, as an outsider yeah. looking in, I already named one, 
One of those, I believe, is confession. I think confession is extremely beneficial. We threw the baby out with the bathwater, I think, when Protestants walked away from Catholicism with the idea, I don't know of any Protestant church that really practices confession, and I think that's a weakness. Me and my good friends, we actually confess to one another. I think that that, that confession keeps us more transparent, less open and available to the enemy. Uh, for attack also keeps us humble in the way where we humble ourselves admitting to our friends and one another the sins that we do. Now, I don't just go confessing to any old person because I know that there are certain people that would use certain information against me. I go to people that I know love me and I love them and I confess and what they share with me comes from their knowledge that is rooted in the word. I think that that is good. Um, I think that there is also um, something very good about the Catholic Church that I have seen from the outside, where there's almost this 24-7 openness, where people can walk in looking for advice. I think that, that there is a certain selfishness within the Protestant Church where there is personal boundaries uh, with the leadership. And it's not always easy to approach them when it comes to trying to get marriage counseling, for instance, to try to get personal counseling. Um, to when, when you're looking for self-help or help from spiritual leaders, sometimes that can be more difficult in a Protestant church than in the Catholic church, um, where the priest is almost a 24-7 available to the people of the church. And even if not, you can always go in and light a candle and have that kind of presence. Um, I, I can give you one example of, of that being a failure in the Protestant system. My One of my baby sisters, I have three younger sisters, uh, one of them went through a divorce not too long ago. Mm. Her and her husband were a part of a, a pretty charismatic church. They tried for months to find someone that would take them through marriage counseling. Never got it because the schedules were too full. And I'm like, what kind of schedule and what kind of church is so full that the sheep can, the needs of the sheep are not being met mm -hmm. by the shepherd? Mm. Um, where I do, from an outsider's point of view, see that there are clergy members. Uh, for instance, when my when my friend Miriam, who I'm writing the story about in Sudan, when she was going through hard times, being persecuted by the government, hard times within her marriage, hard time of becoming a brand new mother after her mother died, she was surrounded by sisters of little sisters of the poor. Several women surrounded her, prayed with her whenever she wanted to pray. They were available 24-7. Mm. They, they personally discipled her like they invested their lives into her um i think that this discipleship is so incredibly important and one of the factors that i see in china i see sometimes in the catholic church maybe that has not been your experience it's been my experience from the outside looking in but few protestant churches i feel can make that claim that they provide those kind of services first of all uh, to make this very, very long story short, uh, I'm well. I was after my conversion, and you know, uh, my mature Catholic life was not really typical, because I was a member of the clergy from the very beginning. Mm. I went to the Jesuit order, and you know, then became a priest and so on. So um, 
it is a bit, actually not a bit, uh, massively different from the experience of a normal Catholic person, right? To be a clergyman in the Catholic Church. But if I was to just, you know, like pick up one thing from my experience, it'd be, uh, <laughs> I say uh, that I'm really thankful to the Catholic Church because after the, 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 this huge experience, I am now, I think, uh, really, everlastingly, effectively vaccinated against religion. Mm. Mm, that's good. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it works better than the COVID vaccine, I'm assuming. Let me explain. <laughs> uh, let me explain it a bit to you. Um, yeah. See, the Catholic, the Catholic Church experience gives you many types of certainties. Like you can be certain that you will go to heaven if you do this and that, right? You can be certain that you go to hell if, and so on and so on. You can be certain, 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 you can be certain that this is what Jesus said. Why? Because the church says that he said this and, and so on. When I started, and from the very beginning I had my doubts, but when I started to have like difficult doubts in me, that it was difficult for me to, to, to represent the church to, to other people, to, to, you know, to, to be a good priest to others, to preach what I'm supposed to preach and so on. Um, I had to question in me first and then outside everything in the Catholic Church, about, about the Catholic Church. Th that's how I found these five Luther's solas. Sola Scriptura, sola fide, sola grazia, and so Why? Because, you see, I read my Bible, and I read in the Bible something that sounded like differently from what I no, the Catholic Church would, would preach. So I was like, okay, so why? why? Why is this that this is different? Because finally I discovered it is different, totally different. Like, for example, the Bible says God cannot stay and dwell inside the temple that the, built with human hands. And this is what, what they preach in the Catholic Church that Christ himself bodily lives and dwells inside their churches, right? Because, you know, the Holy Communion after the transubstantiation, is it the, the English name? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's really like physically, you cannot touch him because it's just a piece of bread, but you have to believe he's there personally in his body and, and so on. Okay, B but the Bible says no, it is impossible, not our God. So, you see, I started questioning and confronting the Catholic teaching. And what I learned, you, don't you ever believe that something is biblical only because someone says it is biblical, mm, but in amen. fact is based on human tradition. Or human understanding. And human yes. understanding. Yes. Here Very it is. Good. This is what we say. This is our interpretation yes. of 
this, the biblical statement that is clearly different. Yeah. Then it was like the church is supposed to look like this. You have to have archbishops and cardinals and the pope and the priests and you know the whole clergy and 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 and, and your parishes and your cathedrals and you. But then I ask, but the Bible says otherwise. It doesn't matter. So you see your vision of the church, of the body of Christ in general, and your congregation, your denomination, the vision of the ministry in the church, the vision of like, what does it mean that something is or is not biblical? I learned in the Catholic Church to question human traditions. Mm. And this is uh, what, what, what I keep he, here on the other side being protestant now and i'm uh, and i try to to convince the other protestants uh born into the protestant churches that they should do the same because this is what luther did right you believe that that your church is biblical well confronted with the word of god not why if you believe your pastor or, or, or the leaders of, of your denomination, how is it different from the Catholics believing their Pope? Mm. Yeah. They believe he's, uh, he, he cannot make any error when, when he's preaching about their faith. This is what you believe about your pastor. Why? It's Confronted true. with the Word of God. Amen. And for many, 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 many uh, wannabe evangelicals, and confront us yeah, with the yeah. word of God. Yes. We find now even stronger opposition than in the, the, the Catholic Church, my former f friends. Why? Because I, I confront them now. Like, listen, they, they say, yeah, but you just converted five years ago. We are Protestants for 50 years. Are you going to teach us? No, but I'm going to confront you. Like, what does it mattered to me that you 50 year old protestant fine but what you say what you preach is is against what jesus said and you say that this is biblical it's not yeah i think i might be wrong yep. but let's sit together as you yes said, have a civilized yes. discussion Th this show is... me this uh, but not like you know like some southern baptist would do like show me this in the bible no yeah. let's have this cultural and civilized but in-depth discussion seeking truth yes and seeking truth requires that we admit when we're wrong because the winning the argument is not the goal the goal is finding truth and that means if we find truth that is in opposition to our belief we abandon the belief for truth and this is why they, i believe that see, the, this is yeah this is so this is like in one word this is my best experience from the Catholic Church. One word, actually two words, but a traitor. Hmm. This is how they call me now. But I said, listen, how about the man you called St. Paul? Wasn't he a traitor? When you find that that truth, you have to be, you have to abandon abandon everything that is not this truth yes so this but but then uh, people would would tell me now uh, among biblically believing uh denominations 
um, evangelicals, they, 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 they don't want to be confronted. Like, come on, I was born in this church. I have to be, you know, biblical. Why? Because, well, this is what we call biblical. And I'm, I'm like, listen, I wasn't afraid to leave everything behind me, including my good name, my reputation that I had as a priest, quite famous in Poland once, because of the truth. What is the problem with... You, you will not have the same, like, you know, revolution in your life when mm. you just... Because what you need is really some type of reformation. In my life, it wasn't evolution. It was revolution. In your life, you just change something, you know, the structure. Challenge it. I'm not going to challenge your, your leaders, but, but, you know, the way they are leaders, the way they... They govern uh, their responsibilities, their churches. Is it really biblical? In these parts, it is not biblical. You just change it. You don't have to change everything. But why don't you want to confront it at all? Uh, this is one of the reasons why I think discussions like this are so good. Um, because the Bible says that together we are like iron that sharpens iron. And in order for iron to sharpen iron, you have to have the two irons actually going in an opposing way. Yeah. And so in that opposition, they actually shave off the hard parts and become sharper. Um, one of the things that I have been sharing for the last year specifically has been that I believe that the enemy's very first goal whenever they take over an area, and it doesn't matter whether it's communist in Poland, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a, the Buddhist in Bhutan, it doesn't matter whether it's the Hindus in, in India, whenever the enemy takes over an area, the very first thing they always have to do is stop free speech. And the reason why I think that they have to do that, I'm coming to a new understanding and a new appreciation of free speech because I believe that that it was not by a mistake that John describes Jesus as the Word. Mm -hmm. And that when we are full of Christ, His words come out of us. And this idea of the Word, capital W, is also the truth, capital T. Mm -hmm. And wherever the truth is, the darkness has to flee. Yeah. And it is my belief that the truth will always triumph a lie. So therefore, in order to combat a lie, it doesn't mean that you find the truth and protect it and mm -hmm. don't allow any lies to come in. That, I believe, is the beginning of a dangerous road where you do not allow anybody to speak in opposition to what you believe. Mm -hmm. That instead, the truth, God has always allowed himself, you'll, you'll see this in the Bible, that God has always, always allowed himself open for questions from his children, always. The Pharisees were rebuked with their questions because their questions were not in search of truth, they were in search of entrapment. That's why the Bible makes a very clear distinction that Jesus saw through their little scandal, that they were not asking questions in order to find the truth, they wanted to trap Jesus. Yeah. And so that idea of the, the word speaking, Jesus being out there speaking freely was dangerous to their lies. And the truth is always dangerous to lie. You never have to protect the truth from lies, in my belief. If you got lies, the answer to those lies is more speech, not less speech. However, the danger to truth 
not being a lie, instead, I believe, is silence. Mm -hmm. That the way to combat truth is not by telling lies, it's by creating silence where the truth cannot go out. And in fact, one of the things that I have really been fascinated with is the fact that coming to the revelation or the realization that the word of God was did not go out in written form in the way that where Jesus, because Jesus didn't write anything. Mm -hmm. We have no books of the Bible that have been written by Jesus himself. Jesus could have been born in the year 2021, right now when you and I are doing this meeting, and he could have had his own YouTube channel, his own Facebook page. He could have gotten his message out a lot more efficiently through the mediums that we have today, but he chose not to. Mm -hmm. Why? I believe it was because he wrote his message on the hearts of his people. Mm -hmm. By speaking the word, the truth, life, into his disciples. And then his disciples went out doing the same. That does not mean that writing is a bad thing or a good thing. I'm saying that there's no substitute for the word of God being shared. And this is one of the things that I believe in the last year we have experienced with the lockdowns and the isolation and those kind of things. The real need for fellowship, for the word of God to go forth from mouth to heart, from heart to mouth. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So I, yeah, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. Thanks for sharing. I think that your experience was not by mistake, that your, you uh, being a Jesuit is actually a benefit for the body of Christ, and it has been a real joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so Thank much you for joining much. us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Poland. God bless you.